0: Well, it's Super Bowl Sunday! <laughs> wow, it's going to be a great game between the Broncos and the Panthers. Uh, you have uh, Cam Newton, the youngest quarterback in the NFL, and John Elway, the oldest quarterback in the NFL, going against each other. And I'm pulling for the Broncos for two reasons. Number one, I saw one of their preseason games back in the 80s, and also they're the underdogs. So very, I'm very careful about how I choose uh, my team. But uh, yeah, people are getting parties ready, and uh, it's going to be a great time. In fact, what, what do you enjoy about the Super Bowl? I do this annually to see where you guys are at. Now, you only can answer one time. So you've got the game, the food, the people, and the commercials. Okay, you only can choose one now. Okay, so how many, the game is the main thing. All right, yeah, all the men out there. Hey, Diana, there you go. (laughs) But, you know, these kind of people really don't want to be at a party. (laughs) Because they want to watch the game. Uh, Sometimes they'll watch it alone or get some other committed football guys together. <laughs> how about food? Huh? Oh, yeah. You know it. Oop, oop, oop. Doing well here. Uh, yeah, the food. I, I tell you what. Food at a Super Bowl party puts the last nail in the coffin of your new resolution of going on a diet. So, oops. and uh, how about for the people? Let me go for the people. Yeah. That was a good time to party and find the commercials. Let me go for the commercials. Alright. Yeah. Well, let's take a look at one of those commercials that is going to show in the third quarter. I can't forget, forget to see you, or your face as you leave. But I guess that's just the way the story goes. Resist great taste. Meet the ketchups. <laughs> yeah, the good one. Yeah, I saw Jack Black in there anticipating the talks to come up. I mean, that's now seen as the top Super Bowl commercial because that everything in it. I mean, first of all, you have uh, this idea, this song going in the background. Going in the background, I can't live. Without you. Okay? A very emotional connection. They have these cute little dogs dancing as hot dogs. And, <laughs> and then you have, uh, they're introducing some new types of ketchup. And also they're coming out with mustard. So you had all the people there. And uh, they just embraced them. And it brought us uh, back to our memories of being kids and having that hot dog. And you had to have ketchup on it. Yeah. Heinz ketchup. I'm not sure if I remember that, but he uh, <laughs> had to have ketchup on it. Uh, it's a very powerful ad that certainly is going to move some people uh, to buy some Heinz. But the question is, do we really need Heinz ketchup? Is that our need or is that a want? That would be a want, I would say. It's not food, drink, and Heinz ketchup. Uh, it's a want. I mean, really, even Heinz can you buy generic? Is that good enough? Or do we really need ketchup at all? No, we do not need ketchup. But here we are told that we're missing this wonderful, glorious, emotional experience of having Heinz ketchup on our hot dog. And of course, the whole purpose of the advertising industry is to create discontent in your soul. You don't have what you really should have. You don't have what you deserve. You need to have what your friends have, right? As you watch ads and as we go on social media, we're going to be focusing on social media throughout this series and how we can build strong relationships in the midst of a social media saturated world. And you go on Facebook and what you see. All of us do this. We airbrush our lives, right? We put the best pictures up where we're having the most fun and you know we're waiting for those likes. <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, Facebook can be a dangerous place because God says to be content. But if you're constantly looking at what other people are doing and you lean that way, well, that's going to lead to some discontentment. In fact, it's our whole country We're just a discontented country. And isn't it interesting that we have more than other countries? I mean, we are one of the richest countries in the world. But we're one of the most disconnected. And, of course, you understand the relationship. The more you have what? The more you want. Right? We compare our lives, again, to refugees, something. It's ridiculous how much we have, how wealthy we are. And we just need to continually remind ourselves of that. What's happened in our culture is God has been taken out of the culture. So, of course, our founding fathers, and for many years, people here in the United States uh, worshiped God, and many were Christ followers, and they, they really were... Concerned about what God had to say. Of course, that has gone out the door. And so when you take God out of the equation, what's the purpose of life? Well, the whole process of life is about meeting my needs. Because there isn't a God, so hey, you know, I'm going to live like I've never lived before in order to fulfill my needs while I'm here on earth. And friends, that type of attitude, that type of philosophy, when you think of all the problems we have in our culture, when you think about what our teenagers are exposed to, it all comes from that desire. That desire to do whatever I want to do. And that's why we see the breakdown that we see. Well, we're starting a new series entitled Struggles. Again, how to build solid relationships in a social media-saturated world. And we're talking about several different things here. We're talking about contentment today, Uh, relationships next week on Valentine's Day, authenticity, and then compassion. There's a great series to invite a friend out to uh, talk about the different things that we, we have trouble with because of the nature of social media and how people communicate uh, these days and so how we can strengthen those relationships. In fact, I'd like to uh, view a video now that speaks of this theme. Culinary breakthroughs would look at this and then see a design flaw. But in fact, that's not the case at all. Because this spoon-like ladle contraption does in fact come with an ergonomically designed... Well, you don't see that kind of post often, do you? So, we're, we're looking at everybody else's lives. And we're seeing kind of where we are in the pecking order. And usually we're looking up being discontented. Why do those people have more advantages than I do? Why don't they struggle with health issues like I do? And it goes on and on and on. Really, social media impacts people's self-esteem and how many likes they get. Have you ever been just uh, so self-possessed that you check how many likes you get? I've done it. (laughs) You know? We're just drawn to people connecting with us. And that can be a good thing, but at the same time, the pendulum has swung pretty far. And we need to talk about uh, correcting that. We all have high expectations. Historian Daniel Boorstin said, We expect anything and everything. We expect the contradictory and the impossible. We expect compact cars, which are spacious, luxurious cars, which are economical. We expect to be rich and charitable, powerful and merciful, active and reflective, kind and competitive. We expect to eat and stay thin, to be constantly on the move and ever more neighborly, to go to a church of our choice and yet feel its guiding power over us, to revere God and then to be God, never have people been more the masters of their environment. And those of you who are older really know the difference than when you grew up opposed to uh, this particular day and how much things have changed. For example, uh, we've got uh, 1,900. Less than 10% of people owned a stove or had access to electricity or phones. Let's think about what life would be like, right? No electricity, no phones, <laughs> 10%. 1915. less than 10% of families owned a car. Now, everybody owns a car, and there's an extra one sitting somewhere if one breaks down, Right? In 1945, less than 10% of families owned a clothes dryer or air conditioner. Oh, mercy. How could they live through an Illinois summer? You know? In 1960, less than 10% of families owned a dishwasher or color TV. How many remembered when they saw color TV for the first time? Oh, yeah. That was something else, right? It ain't black and white, but... All of a sudden, this is miraculous. It's color like I have in my life. And, you know, I think we'd be satisfied with that for 20 years, but of course not. (laughs) Always making them better. 1975, less than 10% of families owned a microwave. Now, how can you live without a microwave, right? If I just came in and took your microwave... Uh, could you live without it? I mean, would you be happy about that? Well, of course not. It's a need. Everyone has to have a microwave. Do they? No, not necessarily, right? It's interesting to see how our culture trains us in what we think we need when actually uh, there are wants. Luke 12, 15. Jesus Christ said to them, Take care. And be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. I always find uh, Jesus' teaching really fascinating because you have to understand he was mostly speaking to people who were poor. The majority of the time he was speaking to people who were poor, who have much, much less than we do today. But again, no matter if you have a lot, or if you have a little, you're going to be discontent. And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. So we think of a lifeguard. What does a lifeguard do? Well, they have a particular area of the pool, and they just keep scanning back and forth, looking for any type of problem, looking for any individuals who... Who seem to be struggling they can jump in and save the person. I'm saved by a lifeguard. No elementary school, anybody else? Rescued by a lifeguard? How many are lifeguards? Any lifeguards out there? No, we're in trouble. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but the whole point is, is a lifeguard is guarding against any type of danger for the people who are swimming. And we are mind guards. We're guarding our mind in this area of discontent. As Jesus said, "It's easy to find purpose in the abundance of your possessions, but you got to be careful to guard your mind and the thoughts that come into it." Philippians four ten. We look at this passage today. Talk about contentment. Paul's writing to the people in Philippi. He says. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that you now at length, you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So, Paul of course is the one who started the church at Philippi. He was a church planter. Remember the Philippian jailer? Yeah. It had been ten years since that had happened and the people at Philippi, even though they were really poor, it says, they continued to send some gifts once in a while to help Paul out. And back in Corinth, he says, <laughs> he really kind of calls the people at Corinth robbers. He said, Rob from these very poor churches to support my ministry here because you won't support my ministry. Uh, and uh, then one day, they find out that Paul is imprisoned. And he uh, is in need. So they send one of his friends, Epaphroditus, to go down to where Paul's at. Most likely he was in a small apartment chained uh, to a Roman guard. Barely had anything to eat, not much clothing, not much freedom. But Epaphroditus went down to visit him, spayed who knows how long with him, to encourage him and to uh, talk with him. And then Epaphroditus went back. So Paul was writing this letter to them, thanking them for this gift. And, of course, he put a lot of other wonderful things in Philippians uh, that we studied in the past. So Epaphroditus, there, he's taking the gift back. And so that's how Paul responds. Now, these two verses... Um, hmm. they are the best two verses on the issue of being envious, of not being content, found in the Word of God. So Paul says, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances so he said I really didn't need your gifts. I really appreciate them, but I really didn't need them because I was content before the gifts came to me. I was fine with the way life was. Probably very hungry, but it's okay. I've learned to be content no matter what the circumstances are. Many times we we look at contentment as bad experiences Bad circumstances coming into our life. And our life was going along like this. And then one part of our life stopped going smoothly. we managing all these different areas of our lives. And all of a sudden, one takes a nosedive. And it's instantly discontent because you believe that life uh, should treat you better. <laughs> right? That's how the media has trained you. Uh, yeah, this shouldn't be happening to me. So it's a matter of frustration. But what Paul is saying, I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. Then he goes on to say, I know how to be brought low. In the Greek, that's the idea of being humiliated. And Paul many times was humiliated. And I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. That's a powerful statement, isn't it? I have learned the secret. When it says secret, and that particular word speaks of the mystical groups back in that day that would have, you know, different rites. They would have one go through to learn the mysteries and secrets of their uh, pagan religion. So he borrows that term and he, he says, I've learned the mystery, I've learned the secret of what it means to be content through Jesus Christ. Every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Yeah, God really beat me up over this message. (laughs) You you really got into your oh man, you know. You have so many feelings of discontent all the time in relation to different things and and you say, you know, I should be responding differently. Romans eight twenty eight, it talks about why we can respond to our circumstances with contentment. Contentment. Why is it? Why can we respond to terrible things happening and be content? Well, two fundamental beliefs. We have to believe that God is providential. That means He provides for us. He takes care of us. If you made that decision to follow Christ, you are His child. And He is your Father. And He's going to be providential and the way He does, He's going to take care of you. Now, so many times, you're not going to think, that's not a good way to take care of me. But He has done it. And He's sovereign. He controls everything in the world. Now, God can work through miracles and He can work uh, through providence. And providence is the idea of putting all these things together in the world so certain things happen to certain people at different times and You know, it's amazing. It's amazing how God watches over us. But you have to believe that, and that really, again, is something that grows. Contentment grows as you are content with difficult circumstances and you let God work in your life and be totally satisfied with Him. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. So that's us Christ followers. That in all things, in illness, loss of a job, challenging relationship, He works for the good of you. And you say, I wish you'd (laughs) come up with some different type of tool to use (laughs) because I'm dying here. Well, that's what He does. Because when we're suffering and we're frustrated and don't know where to go, and the only place we have to go is to Jesus Christ. That's our only option. If we respond in that right way, we're going to grow in contentment and say, Jesus is good enough For me, the secret of contentment—the secret is contentment—is to believe in the providence of God, that He is in control of everything and can be trusted. You feel that way? Do you believe that? Because usually, when an area of our life starts to go south, what we do is we move in and we really micromanage it, right? Got to change maybe our spouse or our kids or, or something else and say, okay, God, you can take the rest of my life, but I really have to have this right now because I think that I am the most skilled to deal with this. Much more than you. I'm sorry, but it's what I believe. All right. I can take care of this problem, I can get the work done. Now, God certainly wants us to address problems and take action in problems, but the backdrop is that God is in charge. So just acknowledge that and say, okay, God, give me wisdom on what to do here, but you're in charge. And even though what I'm going through is very difficult, you're going to do good in my life. Now, how did Paul learn... To be content. Notice he said, "Learn to be content." He doesn't make a decision. Okay, I'm going to be content this week, <laughs> right? Uh, he had a lot, he had a whole set of curriculum that God brought him through in order to build contentment in his life. This is when he was talking to the people. At Corinth, and the false teachers were bragging about all that they had done. And so (laughs) Paul goes into his uh, resume. Five times I received at the hands of Jews the 40 lashes less one. That's what Jesus experienced, right? Yeah, four times, almost four times he died. His back was just torn up. Three times I was beaten. With rods. Once I was stoned. Yes, he was actually stoned. They threw rocks on him. But of course, God protected his life, but still impacted his body, right? I mean, you just imagine. Three times I was shipwrecked. I don't know how to analogy for that. Maybe I guess if you're stranded in an airport for two days. But still, that's not as bad as being shipwrecked. You're on some island. (laughs) You you ran into it for some reason. And you've got to provide for yourself. And night and day was adrift at sea. I wonder what happened there, you know. He was just adrift at sea. And there was no hope maybe. But he still was content. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, the Jews, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, danger, danger, danger. Really?
1: This is
0: incredible in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. I would not recommend that you use this passage in witnessing to a person. you <laughs> Remember, Apostle Paul, you could have a life just like his, right? I mean... You become a Christian, everything gets better, right? Well, not necessarily, right? But this is a life he went through. But the key I need to bring away from this is that through all of these challenges, what did he do? He made the right choice to trust in the contentment of God. Even though it was very painful, he almost died several times. I mean, terrible things. He believed that God was providential, was controlling everything, and that he had his best in mind. Because when you go through enough of these types of experiences, and you stay centered in contentment with Christ. That's how you learn to be content. So if you want to be more content, say, Lord, make me more content. You might bring some new issues to your life. But that's the only way you can learn it. Right? You've got nobody else to turn to. You've got to trust in Christ. You've got to let Christ live through you. That's the most beautiful thing about Christianity is that we have a world view where life makes sense. It's a sinful world. It's a broken world. We weren't intended to be here. And yeah, it's painful. It's painful. And someday there will be a glorious unfolding when you enter into eternity. We always have to keep our eyes on Eternity. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Now, many of you know that verse. But isn't it interesting, now that you've studied the context, how the understanding and the inside of that verse changes. I can do all things. What is he talking about? It's not a, not a prep verse for success at work. I can do all things through Christ. <laughs> He's talking about Suffering. I can do all things through Christ. I can make it. I can survive with Jesus. No matter how bad it might be. I can do all things through Him. It's got to be through Christ. You can't do without Him. Who strengthens me. He gives me power. You know, in my life, um, when I felt God strengthens me in ways, usually it's when I'm down. Usually it's when I'm tired. Usually when things aren't going well. But it's the most beautiful experience to feel God just lift you up. I mean, one moment you're feeling down and you're just feeling like everything's going the wrong way. And and you're just really dissatisfied. In the next moment, God infuses you with new energy. And all of a sudden, things look differently. It's an automatic reframe of your circumstances. We look in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. This is the exchange life principle. See, we die to Christ. We've been crucified with Him. Our sinful nature, all our sinful deeds. So, Paul is saying, it's not me. Or he's saying, it is no longer I who live. So, He's dead to Himself. But Christ who lives in me. So, he is grown to a point where Christ is dead. The Lord of his life and Christ is, everything's based around Christ. And he's living like Christ because Christ is living through him. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So that's where Paul was at. That's why he could go through all these different type of circumstances and challenges and still come out strong. Because he had learned that the only security, the only place where you could find contentment was in Jesus Christ. And look at Job, right? He had everything taken away from him. We we kind of tend to put Bible characters, you know, (laughs) just as characters in a book. Like they really didn't live. And oh, yeah, I know about Paul, but that that was today. That's not going to happen. (laughs) You know how many Christian martyrs there are? How many ISIS have killed because of their love for Jesus Christ? We have much to learn from the characters in Scripture. Because they have the same life we did in so many ways. Ephesians 3.16-17 speaks of this infusing power. Paul's praying for the people of Ephesus that according to the riches of His glory He may grant to you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you be rooted and grounded in love not interesting? Same idea, you know. Galatians 2.20. Died with Christ. Now lives within me. And now it talks about, again, this inner power. It doesn't talk about, you know, a bonus check. It doesn't talk about a new friend that comes by. It doesn't talk about the person you've been looking for to marry. Now it talks about an inner power within you that's super Natural. And you feel this inner power when you're going through pain. Only if you respond to it correctly. I mean, if you whine and complain and things of that nature, uh, it's not going to happen. But you just have to say, Jesus, I don't know why you're taking me through this challenge, but I am content in the midst of it. And think, Okay, right now, at February seventh, twelve sixteen, can you be content in your circumstances right now? Now, the normal person would say, "Well, no, I'd like things to be much better." But if you realize that your your strength and, and your life is all focused around Jesus Christ, that is when you can grow in. Contentment. Look at Isaiah forty thirty one. But they await for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. I don't know about you, but that's what I'm looking for. Most of life is, you know, I don't know. It's just life. You know, special moments, experiences that come along. And, but really, it's just daily life where we choose to be content to the power of Christ. And for those of you who are older here uh, and you have responded over the years by being content. then didn't come easily at first, but the older you've gotten, the more you say, oh, it's all about Jesus. <laughs> i had no control over anything. And Jesus Christ has become your rock. You understand that. That's why it's so important when you're around Christ followers uh, who are seniors is to talk to them about how God worked in their life. How God protected them during difficult times because they're looking back. and You might be right in the midst of raising your family and uh, they can give you a lot of wisdom in regards to that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank You for this powerful passage. We're not asking exactly what Paul went through for that. (laughs) But Lord, as issues do come our way, I pray that we would just say, I am content in Christ alone. My friends and myself were out moved throughout this week. And we again encounter the problems of life. Relational issues, financial issues, health issues. Just to say I am content in Christ because I you put us against a wall where we can't control anything anymore. You're the only resource, and that's the way you want to be. I pray that we all would respond in that way this week. Whatever the situation is, I am content in Christ. I don't like what I'm going through. I wouldn't have chosen it. But God has allowed this to happen, and I am content. In Christ's name, amen. Well, thanks for being here today. Uh, We are going to have a 10-minute prayer meeting uh, for Carolyn Woolard. So any of you who want to come up, come up in these first two sections here. And we'll just take ten minutes to pray for Carolyn and Rich and the family as they go through this very unusual uh, time. Hope you enjoy the game, or the food, or the people, or the commercials, or all of them. (laughs) Thanks. City. Kid City knows about this, so I'll uh, oh, take care of your kids until the about By 10:30, or 10 minutes. Just come forward if you'd like to pray with us.